Broadcasting from the Cradle of Liberty in Philadelphia. All the way to the rhythm and blues of Beale Street in Memphis. To high atop the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. This is where politically correct perception meets common sense. This is the Joe Carey Show. Welcome to the Joe Carey Show right here on KTalk 1640 AM. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I am Joe Carey, and uh, thank you for listening to the show today. Um, wow, things escalated quickly in the Middle East. Well, I guess that's one way of looking at it. You could also look at it and say it's been like 8,000 years, and it's always escalating. But, uh, you know, it looked like we avoided catastrophe. Uh, the Iranians shot down a drone. Uh, Trump orders these attacks, and then he changes his mind, and you know he calls back uh, the the force. And uh, then yesterday, Trump announces these sanctions, and the Iranians came out and said, "Hey, if you know, you think there's anything that hasn't been sanctioned in this country before?" And they're trying to talk tough, but the reality is, uh, I think I read in the uh, the paper of record, the New York Times, that the Iranian economy is projected to shrink anywhere between 6 and 8% this year. That's massive. I mean, the Iranians don't have a very big economy. And to lop off even 6%, where I'm not talking 6% growth. I'm talking about the economy is shrinking by 6%. That's massive. Like, that's big. So in response, the Iranians do what, you know, in diplomatic uh, circles they call talking smack. And the Iranians sent out a, a series of tweets where they uh, referred to the White House as mentally retarded. Now, look, I'm not one to play semantics, but I mean, technically the White House wouldn't be mentally retarded. I mean, right, I, I, a person... They followed up with that by saying that uh, the White House has a mental handicap. Again, not to be, you know, not to be all semantical, but I mean, I I don't think the White House would have a mental, I mean, the White House is a building. So Donald Trump, you know, engages in more uh Trans-Atlantic uh, diplomacy, I guess. And in response to the Iranian leadership referring to the White House as mentally retarded and that the White House has a mental handicap, Donald Trump uh, threatened to attack Iran if the Iranians should strike any American asset. This is what he said. Iran's very ignorant and insulting statement put out today only shows that they do not understand reality. Any attack by Iran on anything American will be met with great and overwhelming force. In some areas, overwhelming force will mean obliteration. And uh, Trump did put that uh, through official channels. He actually tweeted it through his, uh, his uh, real Donald J. Trump account. And when I read that tweet, I have to tell you, if I'm on the Iranian side, I believe it. Like, I truly believe that if Iran makes the mistake of hitting another American target... 
I am truly convinced that Donald Trump is going to strike back. And it's not going to be a missile here or a missile there. I think he's going to wipe out, you know, military facilities in the uh, Islamic Republic of Iran. I mean, think about this. Think about what he said. Quote, in some areas, overwhelming force will mean obliteration. I don't think he's bluffing. I think that, you know, if Iran continues to poke the bear, yeah, there is going to be overwhelming force unleashed. I don't think it's going to be ground troops. I don't think we're going into Iran. But I see a version of Fast and Furious playing out over certain facilities, certain nuclear facilities, certain military facilities. But, you know, the Iranians, they've been around for a long time. And they have caused problems for every president since Jimmy Carter. The Iranians have caused, uh, I would even argue, change in leadership at the top of the country. Right? I think one of the things that ushered in Ronald Reagan was Jimmy Carter's inability to understand what you need to do to get the attention of the Iranians. Right? They were holding our American hostages, or was it 400-some-odd days? And Reagan made it clear, look, when I'm president, this is going to stop. It's going to end. You know, I remember when we sent the helicopters in, right, when we sent the rescue team in to get the hostages. And I remember it didn't end well. But this isn't just a message to Iran, right? This is a message to North Korea. It's a message to our enemies, and it's a message to our allies. Right? Saudi Arabia, Egypt. You had one of the ambassadors uh, come out in uh, Saudi Arabia. He remained anonymous, but he came out and he gave this interview. And in the, inter- in, in the interview, he actually said, you know, uh, something along the lines of, you know, the time uh, with war with Israel is over. Like, we're past that. We're beyond that stage now. Think about that. That's a powerful statement, right? Jared Kushner just comes out with phase one of the peace plan, the Middle East peace plan. They're bringing a $50 billion checkbook. You know, Abbas, who's the uh, the titular head of the uh, PLO, He's poo-pooing it, right? Oh, this plan's not going anywhere. I'll listen. I mean, I'll listen, but it's not going anywhere. Do you know why a boss is upset? Because the $50 billion is not being uh, funneled through the PLO. Right? A boss would have signed. He would be the first one to sign on the dotted line, except Trump is too smart. He knows that there's too much corruption in the PLO. Right, you dump fifty billion in the top of that funnel, the PLO funnel. By the time it comes out, I think it's a dollar twelve. So Trump says, "Yeah, we're going to pour fifty billion to addressing the needs of the Palestinians." But you know what? We're not going to run it through the uh, uh, the PLO government. So a boss walks off in a tantrum. He'll come back. He'll get his money. He'll be paid, and he'll be happy. 
that. And this is this is a, a very very uh, intense situation where you know our allies and our enemies are taking a measure of. Donald Trump, is he really just going to be all talk or is he going to, you know, take a stand? And believe me, no one is pushing him harder to take a stand than Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. They're hoping that Donald Trump launches. They're hoping that Donald Trump retaliates. Because they see that they're, you know, nonstop investigations, that's not getting them anywhere. That's not bringing them victory in the polls. They can't talk about the economy. They can't talk about jobs because those things are, they're off the charts right now. I mean, Trump has really done an amazing turnaround with the economy and with jobs that were never supposed to come back. So the Democrats don't want to talk about that. What can they talk about? Well, we're, we're doing all these investigations on the president. That's not getting them anywhere. They just did a poll. Only 22% of Democrats, only 22% of Democrats expressed any interest in the 2020 election at this point. There's like 27 Democrats running. That's like less than 1% per Democrat. Meanwhile, their big debate is, you know, NBC, it's a two-day debate. Even Democrats aren't interested. They estimate that 30% of each party is, you know, your, uh, your core, your, uh, you know, your motivators. These are your, uh, your troops. They don't even hit the 30% mark. When we come back, I want to talk about AOC. She, we, yesterday we had a guest on, Christian Bernard from a Reason Foundation. He talked about the free student loan debacle, what that means. AOC doubles down yesterday. She wants to uh, – trying to make her case why taxpayers would be better off if we paid the $1.6 trillion student debt loan check. I disagree. We'll have that story next right here on The Joe Carey Show. Right then, uh, AOC, the youngest woman elected to Congress. You know, and that's that's a feat. Like that's an accomplishment. I think she's a loon, but I mean, she she that's an accomplishment. And she took out what was it a a, a ten term uh, congressman in order to get there. But wow, has she drawn different lessons from her American experience? Uh, she was talking yesterday, I believe, and she's talking about, you know, well, we need to do all these students have so much student debt and it's crushing them. And she talked about a, a friend, a high school friend she had that got accepted to an elite uh, college or university. And the total price tag was going to be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, a quarter of a million dollars to get a degree. 
And as Ocasio-Cortez explains it, you know, her friend was got all got accepted, but wasn't given any scholarship money, was just extended loans from the university and said, look, if you want to come, we have all these loans. And her friend looked at this and said, you know, I'm going to pass. I don't want I don't want to go into debt. I think that's a great decision. I think that's a a great decision. Ocasio-Cortez says she got into her dream college, but her dream college offered her no scholarship, just loans. I have a dream car. I have a car I'd love to buy. But I look at the price tag and I'm like, ah, that's going to remain a dream for a little bit longer. It'd be great if someone would step up and say, hey, Joe, you know, we like you so much, Joe. You don't have to take out a loan. We're going to gift this to you. We're going to give you car scholarship money. Why? Do they have such a thing? Yeah, but that's usually reserved for white people and you're half Asian. So we, you know, we, we keep that on the down low. We can't give you the full car scholarship because, you know, you're only half white. It's okay. It's okay. I'll keep the secret. But Ocasio-Cortez, she, she walks away from that. And instead of saying, you know, her friend should be commended, her friend should be, you know, held up on a pillar and said, this is the way it's done. Right? Because there is a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday with Christian Bernard. He was on from uh, Reason Foundation. And under the Obama administration... If you went to hairdressing school, if you wanted to be a respiratory therapist and uh, you went to a vocational training school instead of a college or university, the Obama administration declared jihad on those schools. The Obama administration, they were shutting them down. And the rationale was you're graduating these students with all this debt that they can't afford. And the Obama administration shutting down these schools anywhere they found them. And I disagreed with it. I said, you know what? If, if a student wants to go to that school, let the student go. But isn't it interesting that now when it comes to these liberal bastions, right, when it comes to the, the citadels of, of kookiness and craziness that, we, that pass for college universities today... Nobody's talking of shutting them down, right? Aren't they the ones that are asking for these outlandish uh, tuitions? Well, why aren't we talking about shutting them down? Because apparently students are going, they're graduating with a quarter million dollars of debt. There's no way they can pay it off. So what happens? There's no way a progressive liberal is going to talk about shutting down a college or university. They produce too many minions. They produce too many non-thinking progressive lemmings. Right? They're the goose that's laying, you know, not a golden egg. But they're just churning out these these wannabe socialists. So there's no way the progressive left is going to talk about shutting down those universities or having a a liberal college professor have their uh, salary cut in half. So what do they say? Well, we're just going to forgive this student loan debt. May I suggest this to you? 
if the universities were putting out individuals with degrees that were actually in demand, we wouldn't have this problem. We wouldn't have this issue. But the problem is, you go to college, you major in something, and there's no way you're going to monetize that. Right? College isn't a vacation for four years. You're supposed to go to learn something and then graduate and be able to apply that. I tell you, my, my oldest daughter, we just went college shopping for her. Well, Melinda did. I was kind of pushing for her not to go to college. I think, you know, it's overrated. You don't, you don't need college. She didn't buy that argument. But yeah, money was one of the things that, you know, we had to talk to her about and just say, look, you know, yeah, there's other colleges you can go to, but they're so much more expensive. Do you really want to graduate with that kind of debt? Do you really want to graduate? And you really have to have that discussion with your son or daughter. Because the university's not having it. What the university is doing, what the university is doing is exactly what Ocasio-Cortez's friend experienced, which is, hey, you can come in, you'll get accepted, but you're not going to get any money. You're just going to take out student loans. And too many students are thinking, oh, well, that's okay. I can pay this off. And they don't really understand what debt in the amount of $250,000 really is. But, you know, as a member of Congress, Ocasio-Cortez, her job... Her job isn't to make up for the, the failures of American colleges and universities. Her job really needs to be developing and creating an environment where good jobs are born and good jobs thrive, right? Isn't that her job as a member of Congress? And based on that measure, Ocasio-Cortez is doing a horrible job. Right? You have Amazon that shows up and says, look, we're going to bring $10 billion in economic benefit to your community over 10 years. Or was it $25 billion over 10 years? But because Amazon wasn't giving enough to the social justice causes, because Amazon wasn't going to bend to the whims of greedy Democrat and probably Republican politicians in New York City, they had to go. And I don't think Ocasio-Cortez thought Amazon would leave. I don't think Bill de Blasio thought Amazon would leave. Right? Oh, we'll do what we normally do. We'll embarrass them to stay. Right? If you're a gun company, we're going to embarrass you to the point, we're going to tax you to the point where you pack up and leave. And if you're a progressive company, we're going to embarrass you to stay. And Amazon did what most people thought was unthinkable. It left. That's what politician, politicians need to be doing. There are good schools. There are great schools. 
And some of them are public and some of them are private. But, you know, the value of that education has to be weighed against, you know, the debt that you're emerging with. That's part of the equation. Hey, we've got a lot more to talk about. We have uh, Jean Carroll and her accusation against the president and uh, many, many more stories and uh, articles to cover with you. We'll be back right after this break. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the Joe Carey Show. You know, during the break, uh, you know, I was talking to Brian about, uh, you know, my dream car and. My dream car has to come with a real emergency brake. Like, I, I, uh, I bought a car recently, and it doesn't have... Brian, you know, like, a real emergency brake is the one that you pull up, and it makes that sound while you're pulling it up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, like the gears are, like, clicking into place. Yeah. And this new car, it just has, like, an electronic emergency brake. Like, you, like, push a button and, like... The car is, and I'm putting this in air quotes, you know, supposed to be. Now the emergency brake is engaged. And I guess I'm old school, but I always put on the emergency brake. I mean, always. Pennsylvania is a very flat state. I pull up in front of the house, emergency brake goes on. You know, go, go out shopping at the mall, emergency brake goes on. And people are like, Joe, you know, that's not good for the car. You're wearing out the emergency brake. I've never had, I've never had to replace an emergency brake. And in Utah, even more so. Emergency brake always goes on. Well, today I'm finally vindicated. There was an article out that Porsche is recalling 100,000 of its uh, exotic cars. Do you know why? Because the car left in park will sometimes roll. Yeah, if those driver had the drivers known, had the drivers known. Brian, do you put your do you put your emergency brake on? Only when I'm doing a bootlegger U-turn. <laughs> but you don't do it. You don't put your emergency brake on. You just park the car. No, I I do because I I drive a manual transmission. Oh, there you go. Oh wow, you're really old school. Manual transmission. Wow. Good for you. Good. Now you don't have to uh, push it to get it started, do you? No, it doesn't have a hand crank. <laughs> Okay, okay, very good, very good, very good. We have uh, Liberty Hills Academy. We have Tiffany with us from Liberty Hills Academy. Uh, Tiffany, what about you? Do you, when you park your car out there in Utah, do you apply the emergency brake or not? Now, wait, I'm going to take a guess. I think Tiffany does. I think Tiffany does. Every time, Joe, because I also drive a manual transmission. Oh, you do too? Yes, nothing else. That must be a Utah thing. It must be. It, it's it's supposed to be theft protection because you, I, the, millennials don't know how to drive. <laughs> I believe that. I actually believe that. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, my daughter, like I said, we we taught her how to drive, and uh, it was all automatic. And uh, yeah, I've got to get her behind a, uh, a stick shift just to see, just the reaction on her face. Okay, let's go for a spin, and she'll be like, uh, what? 
what is this? So we'll have to work on that. But Tiffany, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we're talking about, you know, the value of an education. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's not just, um, uh, I think we spend so much time on things that uh, in school, like in the in the normal course of the school day, that don't add value to the kids. And I think one of the things that Liberty Hills Academy is, there is this focus on that core curriculum, math, science, history, grammar. How do yeah. you go about doing that day in and day out without it being uh, boring or without the kids feeling, hey, I'm not being challenged? Oh, that's really important, actually. Um, we start before the school year even begins to prepare, and um, we have uh, the students come and take a math placement test, especially new students. And Mrs. Cliff here at the school gives our math placement test, and she is phenomenal at it. They are. Um, we haven't had an error. We. Um, place students according to ability rather than age in math. And, uh, for example, she tested my daughter uh, one year and because uh, I wasn't really happy with what where she was level-wise. And I could go home with a set of, you know, 12 different things that we needed to work on and then buy... September, she was ready to move on with the higher level group. So those math tests really show where the holes are. And it helps us to place the student right in the correct level. So, and that's important because we want students to be challenged, but we don't want them sitting there for an hour having no clue what's going on in the classroom which is what happens if you just are moved along to the next book, whether you understand it or not, um, you're lost. So those tests are are really important. And then we follow a true principle, which is that we teach line upon line and precept on precept. And so the, the curriculum that we use in every subject is is kind of like life in that you learn something new and then you review and then you learn another new principle and then you go back and make sure you understand uh, the first thing that you learned and it just goes on like that and we do that in math our we follow old school pre-common core saxon math it's just a wonderful program if you find that your student doesn't understand a problem, you can look at the problem and find exactly what chapter that problem is discussed and go right to it and read all the instructions and they're very clear. Even if you haven't been in school for 35 years, you will still get it. So it's, it's made um, very clear and user-friendly. And then the science is like that. We, we start... Um, we follow the, the well-trained mind um, has laid out. So it says the sciences are studied in a four-year pattern that roughly corresponds to the periods of scientific discovery. And this pattern leads coherence to the study of history, science, and literature together. 
um, because the subjects are too often fragmented and they become confusing. But if you study, um, uh, say, the human body or classification when you're studying the ancients in history, it's kind of it just kind of goes along how all of those things came to be in the first place or those fields of study came to be so and they repeat on a four-year rotation and so it's the same principle line upon line and precept upon precept and it just it just really works really well for a lot of students now, Tiffany, how do you know that your curriculum is producing the results that, you know, benefit the students but also make, you know, the, the parents happy? I mean, there's a balancing act there where, um, yeah. you know, the kids need to be receiving what they need, but the parents are also happy and they can measure this progress, they can see the progress. What feedback funnels uh, does Liberty Hills Academy have uh, that parents can regularly measure and monitor the progression of their students as they learn? Well, mostly they're astonished um, when their kid comes home from school on a daily basis. My husband, uh, my daughter hasn't had necessarily a formal geography class at the school, but her teacher in the classroom uses a map, and whenever she talks about anything, she points to that that area. And my daughter has just developed this love for geography. So we have exceptional instructors here, and that's one thing. Secondly, we give the Iowa skills test at the end of every, every school year, and our students do really well on those. Um, we, te- we don't do a lot of uh, high-stakes testing. Uh, in the public system, they test about 26 hours a year and our at Liberty Hills we test about three and a half hours a year but that that skills test um, helps us make sure that our students are uh, meeting or exceeding their peers around the country and they do they uh, do very very well Tiffany, let me ask you this, and I, I will have you back on to talk about this at more length, but you have another uh, gala event coming up at Liberty Hills Academy. We have about one minute yes. left. Can you give oh, us yeah. that overview? Yeah, so it's not fully developed yet, as you said, because it's a ways off, but on November 8th, Tad R. Callister, Callister actually, who's the author of Uh, two of my very favorite books. One is The Infinite Atonement, and the other one is The Case for the Book of Mormon. We'll be speaking at our gala, and we would love to have people be aware of it and and come. It's going to be really neat. Well, I love the fact that you're giving all that advance notice. Because usually in Utah, it's, hey, uh, this evening, could you come to our wedding? (laughs) So... Tiffany, thank you very much. We'll have you back on to talk about that. You're listening to The Joe Carey Show right here on K-Talk, 1640 AM.
Hey, welcome back to The Joe Carey Show. You can uh, follow us on uh, Facebook, uh, The Joe Carey Show, Twitter, at Joseph Carey. Uh, thank you for tuning in. You know, during the break, I was talking to Brian, and, you know, it's amazing. Like, tech has made so many improvement, uh, improvements in our lives, but it's also cost us some things. You know, like, you know, my generation, you know, that emergency break, I mean, you pulled that up and you knew that car wasn't going anywhere. You just felt it. And today it's like, oh, just push this button or, you know, my car, pull this button up. And I'm always like, man, is the car really locked? Like, is it really, is that emergency brake really applied? It's just different, the feel. The other thing is, you know, I was, uh, you know, I travel a lot, so I'm always renting cars, right? Always renting cars. And one of the benefits is the, the car companies always have, like, the latest model in. And, like, the new thing now, was it this auto off? So, like, you pull up to a stop sign or you pull up to a traffic light? And they don't warn you, right? So I thought the car died. I'm like, did the car just turn off? Like, did this car just turn off on me? And then it's like, oh, when the light turns green, you you apply the gas, and then it like comes back on, it goes into this like super silent idle mode. And apparently that's saving the planet, so I'm willing to do my part. But it's like annoying as all get out. Right? I mean, before it was, okay, how fast is this car going to go from zero to 60, right? That was all the manufacturers. How do we get that time down? And today it's like, well, if we just let the car idle a little bit more. I was talking to my kids about, you know, they're always taking these photographs. You know, when I was growing up, no, no kid ever wanted to be in a photograph because mom and dad wanted it to be the perfect photograph, right? You only have like what? What was it? 35 photos? Was it even 35 Maybe 25 photos on a roll of film. So that photo had to be perfect. You know, move over this way. Move over that. Well, you know what? Uh, stand over here. Move it. And they wouldn't take the photo because you only have 25 to capture your entire trip to Europe. And then it was like, ah, who wants this photo anyway? But today it's like, you know, photos are free. I was telling my kids, like, yeah, I remember when, you know, we actually had to drive to the store and drop off the film to get it developed. And you know what they said? So what, Dad, you would drop it off, like, on the way to work and then pick it up on the way? I said, pick it up on the way home? No. How about a week later? How about a week later? You're told to come in and pick up your film. And then, you know, Kodak and others really got high tech. Remember when they started building those kiosks in the middle of parking lots? So you wouldn't have to go into the shop. Like you could actually just, that was like the speedy delivery. And then Polaroid, they tried to revolutionize the market. You know, they came out with those cameras, those instant cameras. And then they came out with the disposable camera. And then the iPhone made all the cameras disposable. Like technology just changes things, like truly in the blink of an eye. But not all those things are good. You know, not all those things are good. 
but the march moves forward. Two other stories uh, just in the the final minutes of the show. I want to talk about uh, Mexico. Uh, Donald Trump threatened to put tariffs on Mexico, 5% each month, increasing to a total of 25%. He was uh, called crazy. He was told it would never work. Mexico just not announced, but it is in the process of deploying 15,000 military and National Guard troops between uh, the U.S.-Mexican border. This is what the article says. In the northern part of the country, we have deployed a total of almost 15,000 troops composed of National Guard and military units, said the Mexican Secretary of Defense. The defense secretary also said his country has deployed 2,000 guardsmen on their southern border. 17,000 troops the Mexican government has deployed. Meanwhile, our Congress... Our Congress can't even muster up the humanity to provide emergency funding to the Border Patrol. Not for increased agents, not for increased enforcement, but to feed, provide diapers and toothpaste for those individuals being detained. But they have no problem getting on TV and blaming Trump. You know, Trump's inhumane. He's not even giving him diapers and toothpaste. It's because this Congress won't authorize the funding for those things. And they won't authorize the funding because they would rather get on TV and talk about how bad Trump is because he won't supply diapers and toothpaste, but it's because he can't get the funding from Congress. But it's even worse than that. It's even worse than that because it's some of these same members of Congress who have created the environment where they have lured and they have encouraged individuals to make this 2,000-mile trek from Central America to the United States. And then when they get here, they won't even authorize the spending of money for toothpaste and diapers. I will tell you, they are a sick group of individuals that occupy the Capitol building. A sick group of people. They play with lives as though they were pieces on a checkerboard. You think about that. You want to think of someone who's callous, someone who is heartless? Well, let me walk that back. Let me just say cold-hearted. That's to tell people, hey, come to the United States. We'll take care of you. We'll pay for your health care. We'll pay for your education. Uh, But those diapers and toothpaste, now you're on your own. That's sick. That's a sickness. Even Nancy Pelosi wants to pass this bill. I think Congress goes on recess in a week, well, right before uh, July 4th. She can't get the more liberal, progressive members of her party to support this bill that she wants to pass. Trump's already said, look, you want this money dedicated to uh, uh, medical care and diapers and toothpaste. You got it. The progressive elements of her party will not support that bill. Because one, they don't want to give Trump a victory. 
and we talked about this yesterday, right? They, they value Trump losing more than they value winning for the American people, or in this case, value providing this care to these uh, detainees. But it shouldn't surprise us, right? This double standard that these progressive uh, Democrats enjoy. Look at Joe Biden. Did you know Joe Biden is currently renting a $20,000 a month Virginia home? $20,000 a month. He's paying in rent. We can afford to. He gave uh, 50 speeches at about $200,000 a pop from the time he was vice president to today. And he signed a seven-figure book deal. And he bought a multi-million dollar beach home in Rehoboth, uh, Delaware. It's like Breadline Bernie, right? How many homes does he have? Three? Does he have three homes? But I feel your pain. I'm just like you. Money hasn't corrupted me. A politician will almost always throw you under the bus if you stand between him or her and their reelection. Nothing is more important to them. And don't ever kid yourself into believing otherwise. You're just going to get disappointed every time. Hey, I want you to stay tuned. We have uh, Larry Reed uh, coming up next. You don't want to miss that show. Always an amazing show. You're listening to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. We will be back on Thursday. Uh, Peace Legal's Legal Hour is tomorrow. We'll uh, talk to you then. Thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.